0: at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started.
1: Well, we're here on the last Sunday of Lent. Jesus has been taking us behind closed doors, and today he arrived in Jerusalem, as we sang. And he's leading us over this next week through his passion, up to Good Friday, through Holy Saturday, and to Resurrection Sunday. And here, over the last five weeks, through his brilliant teaching, Jesus has been inviting us behind the closed doors of our own lives, our own hearts, our own minds. Today, he's going to lead us to take one final look to stand and acknowledge what might be the greatest danger for any growing Jesus follower. Uh, Jesus wants us to see something that we can call out. He wants to call out something that it might be the most subtle form of sin with the greatest potential to destroy our witness to Christ and to derail our walk with Christ. So are you ready to go behind this final door? Well, let's hear the teaching of Jesus from Matthew chapter 7, verses one 1- through five. And I want to invite you just to sit for a moment in silence so that we can be ready to receive this. So wherever you are, I invite you to just pause, maybe close your eyes, maybe hold out your hands, and let's just be quiet for just a moment so that we can be ready to receive Jesus' teaching. These are the words of Jesus. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I wonder, hearing these words, what did you notice? If you're sitting with someone today, I want to just give you a moment to say it out loud to each other. Like, what did you notice when you heard these words today? If you're by yourself, pull a little sheet of paper and jot a few things down. What did you notice? What stood out to you? What surprised you? Well, let's walk through this together. The first thing we might notice is that Jesus gives an explicit command, which in itself isn't odd. In fact, Jesus throughout his big sermon on the Mount, and in particular in this center portion that we've been focusing on through Lent, Jesus has been throwing out commands like he's Moses coming off the mountain. Which I want to put a little wink in there because that's precisely how Matthew wants us to see what Jesus is doing here on the mount. One of the terrifying things about Jesus' teaching isn't its ambiguity. What's terrifying about the teaching of Jesus is its clarity. Jesus makes us squirm because he's so clear and so commanding more than a few of you have already come to me and told me how the teaching of Jesus about treasure that we looked at a few weeks ago is causing you to still squirm. That's even the word that some of you have used. Jesus here gives us an explicit command. Do not judge. Don't do it. Don't. Don't make yourself the judge of others. Don't put yourself in a position of condemnation to those around you. Step back, Jesus said, way, way, way back from making yourself the one who determines what is wrong, who is wrong, what's going on, what everyone should do about it. Don't, Jesus says. Stop being judgmental. Take off your white horsehair wig and stop playing the judge. Actually, next to the golden rule, these are probably Jesus' most quoted lines. People who know very little about Jesus and even less about his teaching will still quote the line, often with a bit of a 1611 flair. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Right? I want to ask, how does this command sit with you? For many Christians, judging others has become a posture for them. A way of operating in the world. You could say that judging others has become like a culture that characterizes them. And the truth is, many people who are outside the church have picked that up. When asked, judgmental is one of the common descriptions that people outside the church will use to describe those who are in the church, who identify with the church, who are followers of Jesus. And apparently, Jesus knew that this was going to be a problem. And so, before we even go on, I want us to pause and ask a really important question. Am I, so personalize this for yourself. Are you, am I, am I willing to receive this command from Jesus? Do not judge. Am I willing to receive this command from Jesus as authoritative for the direction of my heart and my mind? In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus, and I know that some of you aren't, so hey, you know what? You can kind of sit and listen to this right now and (laughs) you're a little off the hook. But those of you who identify as followers of Jesus, those of you who have been baptized, those of you who are saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow, all of you, do you accept Jesus' right to tell you not to judge? Are you willing to Submit to his command and let it reorder your way of thinking about others. Are you tracking with me? This is tough because if we're honest, we've got some pretty locked in ways of seeing others. Kind of hardwired reactions to those around us ingrained patterns of identifying and categorizing and and measuring and maybe decrying the lives or practices or actions or thoughts of those who are around us. We've become expert judges sitting in a seat we were never meant to occupy. But Jesus here commands us not to judge. Will I, will you, will we submit to this command? It's essential. In some ways, if we aren't, in some ways, you should shut off the computer right now. Stop. All of us. If we can sit here and think, I don't want to submit to that command we should not go on with the teaching of Jesus. It would be dangerous to do so. And so, I'm going to pray right now for us. And I encourage you to pray along with me, this prayer of submission to Jesus' command. Join me in this. Lord Jesus, we hear your command here not to judge. And we confess that we have judged others Confess that a sin is going against what you've told us to do. And we submit to your leadership now. Help us to obey your teaching in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, if you're ready to move on, let's do it. Did you notice how Jesus followed up his explicit command with a warning? We need to hear this warning. Listen to it again. Do not judge, Jesus said, or you too will be judged. In the same way, Jesus said, you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus wants us to understand something critical here. Our standard of judgment about others, will bounce back and be applied to us. You will get how you've given, period. If you're a harsh critic of others, you will eventually face that same kind of harsh criticism. If you're unwilling to give people the benefit of the doubt, there will come a time when you will not get the benefit of the doubt. If you judge people only by their worst days, you too will be judged based on your worst day. If you have a habit of writing people off because of something they did or said or thought or believed, you too will be written off based on something that you said or did or thought or believed. Swing that ax. And then bare your neck for what is coming. And to be honest, I think Jesus wants to scare us a little here. I do. In his day, as in ours, judgmental people are willing to cast aspersions upon others. You know, calling them down. Sometimes out loud, but let's be honest. A lot of times it's inside. Or at least among friends. I mean, if we're honest some of our conversations together are about others in a judgmental, gossipy, destructive way. Judgmental people are willing to do this thinking constantly about terrible or stupid or foolish or weak or inept. Others are, and they often do so without any fear of judgment whatsoever. They think they're safe especially religious people. Jesus, if I can say it this way, wants to put the fear of judgment back into us. But here's the remarkable thing. He wants us to fear the measure of our own judgments. He wants our blood to run cold at the idea of being judged in the same way that we've been judging others. And for people who've made judgmental thinking about others an art form, this should be a terrifying idea. Let me ask you, knowing, this is what Jesus is saying, knowing that you will be judged as you've judged others, how fearful does that make you feel? Jesus wants us to feel the weight of this. He intends it, this challenge he's giving, he intends it to soften us, actually, to give us pause, to to, to somehow rock us back and break through our hard-heartedness so that we can go, whoa, 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 actually, I don't want to be judged that way. I I don't want to be judged the way I've judged others. I, I want to be judged fairly even graciously. In fact, I want a judge who takes into account my failings, my attempts, who's willing to show mercy, who's fair and kind, wants to hear my full story, who isn't harsh but is actually quite reasonable, just, even supportive. Jesus is pushing us here so that we're shaken up enough to step back and follow him into a whole new approach. Because and, and this maybe is where some of you have already gotten hung up. It isn't as though we're supposed to just turn a blind eye to things that are going wrong. as Ignore all forms of sin or all forms of brokenness or all forms of abuse or evil or stupidity or foolishness or, or, no. What Jesus does here is he gets us to take a step way back, don't judge so that we can re-engage each other in all of our frailty and our sin and our struggle and our need in a whole new way of grace as his followers that will actually lead to life transformation. Because that's the goal for his followers. That's the goal for people. Jesus wants us to grow in him, to mature, to develop. He, He wants us to To be living in such a way that sin and those patterns of sin and the destructive ways of thinking and being, they lose dominance in our lives, including the sin of being judgmental. Jesus wants us to be cleared of logs and specks, shed of harsh attitudes and free of lustful objectifying or, or released from angry tirades or abusive language or selfish spending or frantic worry. He he doesn't want these patterns of brokenness and sin, which are destroying us and destroying us. He doesn't want them to characterize us or our life together. Instead, he wants us to be reshaped as grace people, joy people, holy people who are radically, unconditionally, overwhelmingly loving, looking just like Him. That's the goal. How's that going to happen? Well, let's see where Jesus leads us. After commanding us not to judge, and then warning us of what will happen if we do, Jesus takes us in a whole new direction. He leads us to turn our focus back on ourselves first. And then, our way of approaching others will be transformed by that experience. Listen to what he says again. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus leads us to the very heart of kingdom living here. This is such an important truth he's giving us. It's as critical to our life together as a church, our life together as friends. He marks out a way of being his followers together. His followers who are definitely sinful, who definitely are walking around with big planks and lots of specks, and need to change, and desperately need to help each other change so that we can experience God's grace and goodness more and more, and be about the mission that Jesus has for us In the world, this is crucial stuff. So let's talk about this. Jesus says, first things first. Stop being the judge of others, and in some sense, start judging yourselves. Turn your practiced focus on your own life, on your own attitudes, on your own patterns, your own addictions, your own false ideas, your own foolish ways. First things first, how do we take the planks out of our own eyes? What Jesus is doing here is he's marking out for us a practice of regular self-examination, a willingness to make our own hearts, our own minds, our own attitudes and ways of thinking and being making them a focus of deliberate and prayerful attention so that we are growing in our understanding of our own sin, of who we are, of how we've been deformed and misshapen, of how we've been affected by our family of origins, of how we have these practice patterns, as well as a deeper understanding of God's grace, our identity in Christ, who we are now, Because the Holy Spirit has come in. And he leads us into a greater willingness to submit again and again and again to his leadership in all areas of our life. And this isn't something that's just one and done, right? Well, okay, I'll take care of that this weekend. That's not how it works. You could argue, in fact, that taking Jesus' word seriously here, for many of us, will send us on a lifetime journey of work. Confession. Repentance, reflection, awareness, letting the Holy Spirit probe us and mold us, purging us of what's diseased, cutting out what's rotten, and infusing us with new creation life. And this is one of the reasons why practicing the historic Christian disciplines, sometimes they're called spiritual disciplines, sometimes they're called spiritual practices, spiritual formation practice, whatever you call them, it doesn't matter. These historic practices, how essential they are our spiritual growth and our life together as a community. Regular disciplines of spiritual uh, or scriptural reading, spiritual reading too, but scriptural reading, of prayer, of fasting and giving, as well as practices like silence and solitude, keeping the Sabbath, journaling, of confession or going on retreats or receiving spiritual direction or becoming spiritual friends. The list goes on. There's a lot of practices But why are these essential? Because I want you to hear this. These are tried and true practices that force us to tend to this condition of our own souls, our own minds, our own hearts and lives in Christ. They regularly invite Jesus in to the conversation of what's going on in me so that he can master my life. It's it's coming to allow myself to be regularly exposed to him again and again and again so that we might pray that prayer at the end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See and test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And friends, here's the truth. Without implementing at least a few of these historic Christian disciplines, it is very unlikely that you will ever be able to take the plank out of your own eye. You may want to, but you won't. These practices set us up to allow this work of the Holy Spirit to happen. Part of the reason for this is because taking the plank out of our own eye, dealing with the sin in our lives, isn't actually primarily about dealing with sin. It's actually about letting the grace of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, fill us and form us and change us from the inside out. It's about being who we now are in Christ. Sin is something that's just in the way of our experience of that, get it out of the way so we can become who God has truly made us to be in Christ. Getting the plank out of our eye in that sense will allow us to see clearly enough to help others. But first, it's gonna help us see clearly ourselves or even better than that. It will help us see clearly the one who loves us, the one who gave himself up for us, the one who took our sin and our judgment, who stepped in to take our place. We let Jesus in and we move from a place of judgment to an experience of grace. We're going to have wonderful opportunities to do that just over the next week to gaze upon the cross, to soak in Jesus hanging there, all that he is doing, all that he has done, bearing our sin, bearing our judgment, and in that context, getting honest about our selfishness, about our sin, about our planks. Confessing. Ugly attitudes that we have about others. Harsh judgmentalism that we carry. Things we've said, even about brothers, even about people in the Erickson Covenant Church. Being willing to confess those things. Turning away from them. Being really specific about it, in fact. Naming the names. To Jesus. I have have had a judgmental attitude toward this person. You know, I have written that person off. I have condemned that person. I have thought this about that person. And confessing that as sin, repenting of it, turning away from it and saying, Jesus, now, would you lead me to look at myself? Lead me to a greater experience of your grace. Receive his forgiveness. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and lead you further. And my hope and my prayer for all of us during Lent is that we'll be able to do that. But also in the days ahead, that this become a regular part of our lives. We need this. Why does Jesus tell us to start here? It might be obvious to you, but I think there's something that he knows that we often miss. And that is that at the root of our judgment of others, often lay the most pernicious, most vile, most destructive, but also most difficult sin to actually see in ourselves, and that's the sin of spiritual pride. Did you notice what Jesus calls those who judge others without first judging themselves? Hypocrites which is not the first time Jesus has used this term, this word. In fact, we heard it just a few weeks ago, right? When Jesus talked about giving, talked about prayer, talked about fasting. He said, don't be like the hypocrites who do all these important acts of righteousness, acts that were designed to express love for God and love for others. So good things, but they're doing them, twisting them into ways of actually nurturing spiritual pride. Self-congratulatory acts, Don't be like them, Jesus says. But now, Jesus gets a little more forceful, a little more blunt. He doesn't say, don't do like the hypocrites do. He flat out says, you hypocrites. Look at yourselves, Jesus, acting all righteous, calling down judgment. When you yourselves are steeped in spiritual pride, so steeped in it, in fact, that you literally stink to high heaven. Why is Jesus so harsh in his words here? I think it's because when spiritual pride is at work, we are virtually unable to detect it unless we are hit hard, bluntly confronted with who we've become. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. I think that's, that, that's why the harsh words he speaks in other places in the Gospels to the Pharisees, to the teachers of the law, to the people who become so prideful. I think that explains that kind of blunt talk because it's the only possible way they're going to hear. I had this experience growing up. Those of you who've read my, my little book, I shared the story in there. As a young man, I was very, very self-righteous. Wow. I look back and it Makes me tremor. In my concern for one of my friends who was definitely going off the tracks, in my godly concern as a brother to help him, I was constantly razzing him about stuff. Change this, do this, stop doing that. What a pain. But I thought I was helping him. I thought I was doing the right thing. I mean, seriously, who wouldn't have been helped by 17-year-old me? (laughs) Oh, I remember as clear as day, we're in his apartment and I'm on him about something yet again with all of my holy and righteous fervor and he lost it and he shouted at me you are so self-righteous I can't stand it and he said a few other things too but in that moment that he lost it he got angry he shouted at me and called me all these terrible names like You're self-righteous. Thankfully, that was the day the Holy Spirit used that blunt, calling it out, that truth, that honesty, to get through to me. And it, it set me on a path. First of repentance and confession, of acknowledging that that had become true of me. And also, in that moment and over the next few weeks, Realizing I didn't want that to be true of me. It had been true. It was true. But I don't want to be like that. And it actually reshaped my prayer. My personal prayer became, God, make me a person of grace. A man of grace. Not someone that people feel judged by. But someone that people feel loved by. And that became my prayer. It reshaped my prayer life for the next number of years of years. That story, of course, is still ongoing. (laughs) We still need to pray that prayer. But it was that moment of blunt honesty that got through to me. And this is what Jesus is doing here. You hypocrites. Jesus knows that unless we come to see ourselves truly, unless we let him name us as hypocrites, name us as judgmental, Name us as people filled with spiritual pride. Unless we submit to that, submit to his way of being in relationship with him and with others, our spiritual pride will literally be the death of us and the death of others. That's going to be illustrated in tragic form in the week ahead as we look and watch Jesus die due to the spiritual pride of the people around him. So, first things first, Jesus says, we get serious about our own planks. And for many, that's going to be more than enough, actually. uh, More than enough for us to do. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He doesn't, no. He now moves us back toward others. Even back into conversations with our brothers and sisters about their sin. Specs, as it turns out, in comparison to the planks that we've been wrestling with ourselves. And here's the important truth we need to hear. If we don't let Jesus save us from our own spiritual pride, we will never be conduits of Jesus' saving grace for others. I want to say that again. If we don't let Jesus save us from our own spiritual pride, we'll never be conduits of God's saving grace grace for others even jesus comparison language here is is very telling isn't it you know having been appropriately humbled by jesus now in a, maybe having really adopted practices in our lives developed over years of self-reflection of repentance of spiritual formation work this this hard work so that we're seeing ourselves more clearly now seeing jesus more clearly we now look out at the very same people that we've been so eager to, you know, condemn or at least correct or, you know, judge or at least fix. And suddenly, their issues don't look nearly as significant anymore. They don't even look as big. They might not even look as bad. It's a powerful visual that Jesus gives us in this teaching. He says, now that you've got this massive plank out of your own eye, you know, I, I, I don't know. Now that you've got it out of your own eye, Jesus says, you'll look around and you're going to do what? You're going to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to uh, help us understand that what's going on, it, our whole perspective on it is going to shift when we've done the work that Jesus wants to do in our own lives. It's like all of a sudden we'll be approaching people and say, Look, you would not believe what Jesus helped me deal with. It still sickens me. I mean, look at this monster. I could use it for hiking. And then we all of a sudden come close to each other and realize, oh, man, I can see you got something going on here. Can I share what's been really helping me? How do we help our brothers and sisters deal with the specs in their lives? Or let's be more specific, actually. How do we help each other? How do I help you? How do you help me? I mean, how do we help each other deal with the things in our lives that are pulling us away from Jesus? Patterns that we have, attitudes that we carry, shame that engulfs us, anger, lust, pride, hypocrisy. How do we do this? This is a really important conversation to have with each other, preferably before we're right in the middle of the conversation about the particular thing. To just ask each other, how could I help you? And tell one another, this would really help me. You know, it's the conversation before the conversation where we can actually set up together as spiritual friends, as brothers and sisters. What would be helpful? Because I think we'd be able to share with each other some of the things that wouldn't be but also some of them that would. We know that what's helpful is not people judging us. It's not. It never moves us toward life. That's the way of death. And Jesus knows this. That's why he's calling us to to go away from that. To acknowledge as followers of Jesus that judgment's already been taken by Jesus and now he calls us into grace. How do we help each other? Well, the same way Jesus has been helping us, right? Right? We help each other by helping each other get in front of Jesus. Just get in front of Jesus. We help each other by encouraging, walking alongside, as we develop regular practices of opening ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, of taking in God's word, of letting the Holy Spirit lead us. Of coming back to the good news of Jesus and who we are in Christ. Coming back to the foot of the cross again and again and again. And this is the essence of spiritual friendship, but also life in community as the church, as followers of Jesus. That through our experience of God's grace, we move from being prideful judges who lord it over others to being forgiven sinners. Who just want to help each other experience the grace that we've experienced. There's a huge difference between those things. I think that's why Paul in Galatians tells us, he, he says, look, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. you think think Paul's picking up on the same thing Jesus was laying down? I think so. Yes, Jesus calls us to speak the truth to one another in grace, but in the context of Jesus' teaching, in the context of his life, in the context of all that he has done in doing, the emphasis is very clear. We're not called to be a judging people. We're called to be a grace people who've given up their need to judge everyone, condemn everyone, categorize everyone because we are being reshaped by the work and grace of Jesus in our lives. Well, let's wrap this up. Jesus is really clear. He calls us away from hypocrisy and judgment and spiritual pride. And he leads us with him to the cross, to the place where all judgment has been rendered, where we can experience the grace of Jesus in our own lives, where we can honestly confess all that we need to and continue to need to so that we can receive again the filling of the Holy Spirit, which will reshape the whole way we see others around us. This week, this final week of Lent, I encourage you Let's walk with Jesus this week. Let's take his challenge here to heart. Let's begin to reimagine what Jesus is doing in us and through us in the lives of others. Let's take up the invitation to incorporate regular spiritual practices in our lives. And if you need help with that, I encourage you to reach out and ask. Ask me. Ask one of our leadership teams. Ask a Christian friend, what kind of practices are you incorporating? But take the steps all of us need to take so that we can actually not only submit to the authority of Jesus, but obey him and do what he says. Friends, Jesus does not want us to be a church that is characterized by judgmentalism. He wasn't. As his followers, he wants us to be a church that is known for our grace known for our transformation, known for the fact that when people come, when people rub shoulders with us, when people get to know us, what they experience is someone who's really honest about all the ways they have needed the grace of Jesus and is also honest about the ways that others can experience his grace too. Friends, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for your clear teaching today we submit ourselves to it. For all of those who are gathered today who may not yet have submitted their lives to you, I pray for each one of them that they would be willing to consider who you are, particularly over this next week as we celebrate the story of your death and resurrection. So would you guide them, Lord? For those of us who follow you in this week ahead, Lord Jesus, may we walk with you through your passion. As we see you hang on the cross, as we see you moved to the tomb, as we see you rise victorious, may we celebrate again your goodness and your grace and as a result be transformed in that encounter. We pray this in your name, Jesus, with gratitude. In your name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.